I don't know if any of you have kids. I've got five kids. And so one of the things I've done with my kids in the past is I've said, hey, what would you do for a dollar? And so you can take a little boy and you can ask a little boy, hey, would you, uh, what, would you pick your nose and eat it for a dollar? And most little boys will say, absolutely. All right. And, and then, you know, we've done this. The older the boys get, the less likely they are to do that or the higher that number needs to be. But there is a book that was written a number of years ago uh, called uh, The Day That America Told the Truth. And this is a, a book that meant to survey a number of different uh, topics in America. And one of the topics they dealt with was greed. And so the question that they posed to uh, this survey was, what would you do for $10 million? Okay? Ask yourself that. What would you do for $10 million? Because according to the survey, tw- this is unbelievable. 25% of people would, imbi- would abandon their entire family for $10 million. I know. That's what I said. 16% of people would give up their American citizenship uh, for $10 million. Now, ultimately, that's going to depend on which side of the aisle you fall on, on whether or not you like the president or not. Uh, 10% of people would withhold testimony, even so far as to let a murderer go free for $10 million. It goes further. 7% of people surveyed would murder a stranger for $10 million. And and this one just blows my mind. 3% of people, 3% would give their kids up for adoption for $10 million. So kids, there is a price on your head. Apparently it's somewhere around there uh, for 3% of the people. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Obviously, today we're going to have a conversation about uh, money. And so just a little bit of a recap. We've been studying the book of Proverbs for this past couple of uh, weeks here in the summer. Uh, We've been looking at Proverbs and and understanding Proverbs are skill for living. They're wisdom for how we live daily. Uh, Something that we all need in our life. Because uh, the guy that wrote the book of Solomon, the the book of Proverbs, the guy by the name of Solomon. Now, Solomon was like us. He had the Ten Commandments. So he knew, okay, I shouldn't murder Okay, I shouldn't steal. But Solomon realized as king over Israel, he realized, man, I've got all these other decisions I have to make that aren't necessarily defined by scripture. And so one day he was praying and, and making offerings to God and God came to him and said, Solomon, what is it you really want? And Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3 says, God, I ask for an understanding mind that I may discern between good and evil. He asked for wisdom and God granted him wisdom. Incredible wisdom, the wisest man that probably ever walked on the earth aside from Jesus. And he wrote this book of Proverbs to give us wisdom to know how we can live our life and have wisdom and skill at living. So we can discern between good and evil and the moment by moment decisions that you and I have to make as we go through our life. We've seen the past couple of weeks, we've dealt with a couple of these different topics of wisdom. We dealt with our words and how we can change the words that we speak can actually revolutionize our life. And how when we change the words we speak, that it can revolutionize the lives of the people around us. The last couple weeks, we've been dealing with wisdom towards friendships. And we understood two weeks ago that uh, what you treasure determines the type of people that you allow to influence your life. And so we said, hey, we've got to make sure we are treasuring the things of God. That those are the things that are most important to us because those are the influences we want in our life. And last week while I was gone, Jake uh, taught us again about friendship. And he said that uh, for us to be a good friend, essentially we need to be the friend that we would want to have. 
So you want to have a friend that's faithful to you? Then be a faithful friend. You want to have a friend who sticks with you through the thick and thin? Then be a friend that sticks through the thick and thin. And today, a God through Solomon is going to talk to us about money. Going to give us wisdom regarding money. Now, when we look at Proverbs as a whole on this topic, Proverbs is generally pretty positive. I mean, absolutely, there are warnings. There's a warnings like in 11 verse 20, chapter 11, verse 28, Solomon writes, whoever trusts in his riches will fall. And so there's these warnings about money that are, are valid. But generally, as, as Solomon deals with this topic of money, he is, he is generally pretty positive about money. And before we kind of get into this message, I feel like there's a little bit of a warning I need to give you. I, I, I'm not going to talk today about how you're going to get rich. That's not my goal. I'm not going to actually teach about finances because for me, I would think that would be a waste of, uh, of our time. It would be a waste of our time if all we're doing is telling you how you can make more money. What I want to do today is I want to talk to us about godliness. I want to teach us how we can be godly pro- people. In fact, that's what Proverbs is all about. Proverbs is all about us learning how to be godly people. And, and Solomon gives us these these. Uh, proverbs, these general observations about how life works best. And if we live a godly life and we generally walk with God, then it should have an impact on our finances. So today isn't about how you can be rich. Today is about how you can be godly and how that godly life affects your finances. We're going to call this message today financial freedom. Uh, an idea that I think is valid for every one of us in here today, financial freedom. And I want to clarify, financial freedom is not measured by, by the amount of money you have in a bank. Financial freedom is not measured by the, the, the toys that you have in your garage. Financial freedom uh, is not measured by your net worth. Financial freedom is actually that. It is measured by your freedom. In fact, there are lots of people that have a lot of zeros in their bank account. Like numbers first and then zeros. There's a lot of people that have these big bank accounts. And there's a lot of these people that are stressed every day about what's going to happen with those dollars. And there's a lot of people that don't have many zeros in their bank accounts. That have very little in their bank accounts. And those people are completely free. And that is what we are talking about today about how we can get to the point where our finances are no longer a stress in our life, but our finances are something that God gives us to put food on the table. Our finances are things that God gives us to put a roof over our head, that God gives us so we can enjoy some of the good things in life. Our finances are things that God gives us as a way that we can bring honor and glory and fame to Jesus. So we're talking financial freedom. And again, let's also clarify, we're not talking about financial security because there's a difference between financial security and financial freedom. If I have financial security, that means that I trust my money. There's enough money in the bank that I can trust it. So if anything happens to me, I've got security. My my bank account's going to cover it. We're not talking about financial security. We're talking about financial freedom. And this is what I would say. If you're going to walk away and say, well, what is the whole message about today? This is going to be a busy week. Here's the one thing I want you to to remember. That financial freedom is a freedom that allows us to follow Jesus to wherever and to whatever he calls us to do. That is what financial freedom is. That is what I want every one of us to experience. A freedom that we can be free to follow God wherever he would call us. And to do whatever he would call us to do. 
That's the kind of freedom we're looking for. Again, financial freedom is, is a horrible life goal. It, it's not the goal. The goal today is not financial freedom. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 6 uh, says that the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money, which means the, the, the predominant pursuit of money. If, if your predominant pursuit in life is all about money, listen, that leads to so many other areas that are going to be dark in your life. But today, if the goal is godliness... Today, if our goal is that we would grow in our faith, I think financial freedom is a cool byproduct of trying to become more godly. So we're going to look today at two reasons why I think that financial freedom is a good goal for us to have in our life. Not the one goal, but it's something that's good for us to talk about. And then we're going to get really practical and look at some steps for how we actually get to financial freedom. So uh, first reason why uh, we should pursue financial freedom is because it helps us to prepare for a rainy day. Helps us prepare. Rainy days, would you agree that rainy days are unavoidable, right? In fact, when you look at the Bible, here's here's what you read on the first page of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, God creates. Creates the world and everything in it. That's good, okay? The second page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, he says this is the way life was supposed to be. Naked and unashamed and wonderful. And then chapter 3. The third page, Adam and Eve and sin. And everything that God created is, is jacked up. And in fact, the rest of the Bible is a story of, of, of the broken world and God's plan of redemption. God's gift to redeem and restore what's been broken. And he's not going to be finished until he comes back in the end of the book of Revelation. But this is what the Bible is about. The fact that we live in this broken world. And we live in this in-between time where, where we know that the, uh, we know that the uh, victory is assured. We know what's going to happen in the end. We know Jesus wins in the end. But we're not quite there yet. And so we're in this meantime where, where Murphy is king, right? You know Murphy's law? If anything bad can happen, it will happen. We live in a day where there are unexpected things that happen in our life, where we have bad days, we have rainy days, and bad things happen. This is the world that we live in. And so I know when I start talking about this idea about we should prepare for a rainy day, I know there's some of you that are really spiritual. Some of you are very spiritual, and you, and you would say, well, well, if I prepare for a rainy day, that shows that I have a lack of faith in God. Some of you are really spiritual, and that's what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, well, if I trust God... Well, I don't, have to, I don't have to save money because God's going to provide. Or if I really trust God, I don't have to get medical insurance because God's going to protect me. Right? And I would say that if you are not preparing for a rainy day, I would say you're not actually walking in faith. You're actually walking in foolishness. Right? I mean, you ever heard the story about the guy? Uh, and there's a, uh, there's a flood. And the waters are rising. And so a policeman comes and knocks on the door and says, hey, man, we're evacuating everybody. The water's going to keep rising. You need to get out of here. And he says, nope, I don't need to. My God's going to save me. Okay. A couple hours later, the water's rising. The water's coming into the house. And so a policeman comes in a boat. And he, and he boats up to the guy's house. And he says, hey, hey, we're evacuating everybody who hasn't got out yet. Come get in the boat with us and we'll get you out of here. And he says, no, it's okay. My God's going to save me. Well, the waters keep rising, keep rising. They get so much that the guy has to be on his roof to get away from the water. And a, and a police helicopter comes and drops down one of those cool rope ladders that all of us guys wish we could try to, to, to climb on, right? Drops down the rope ladder and the police says, hey, hey, come on up. We'll get you out of here. We'll save you. And he goes, no, it's okay. My God's going to save me. 
Well, guess what happens? The water rises and he drowns and he dies. And and he goes and finds God up in heaven. He's like, God, I thought you were going to save me. And you know what God says? Man, well, I sent you a police officer. I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. Like, what, what, what what else do you want me to do for you? See, this is what it means to prepare for a rainy day. In fact, Proverbs says uh, in chapter 10, verse 15, as well as chapter 18, verses 11, twice Solomon says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. A rich man's wealth is a strong city. What does that mean by a strong city? Back in, in that day, if you had a strong city, you know what a strong city did for you? It protected you. It protected you from enemies. So there may be someone who wants to come in and wants to destroy you, but if you have a strong city, you are protected. And, and what Solomon is trying to say is that financial freedom is kind of like a strong city. That there are things that will attack you. There are things that will try and bring you down. But because you have a strong city, because you have prepared, they won't defeat you. In fact, this is what this looks like. So when I was younger, when I was younger, I didn't quite understand this. Uh, when I was younger, like I would just be go- going through and my brakes would go out in my car and it'd be a crisis. It'd be an emergency. What? What do you mean I have to replace my brakes? Or my tires would go out. What? I got to get new tires? It was an emergency. I didn't know it was going to. Now, am I the only, ever, only person that ever realized that? Like these things happen. There are things that happen in life. Taxes are due. There are things that happen in life that if we have enough forethought, you can begin to say that these things that are emergencies, you can predict, you can prepare for. And that is what we mean by we say that financial freedom allows us to prepare for a rainy day. So that way when the brakes go out, when taxes are due, we've got the resources to say, hey, I knew this was coming. This isn't an emergency. I prepared for it. And now I can get that taken care of. So that's the first reason why we should uh, pursue financial freedom so we can prepare for the rainy day. Second reason why we should uh, uh, pursue financial freedom is financial freedom allows us to generously be generous. Allows us to be generously generous. That's kind of a tough uh, tongue tongue twister there. But it gives us the margin where if we see a need around us, we see a need in somebody's life, when we are financially free, we have the margin to be generously generous to that person and to that need. Now, let me be honest, that's not where most of us live. Most of us live in this setting where, where, where we can give a tip. You know, that's where we see the guy on the street corner holding up the sign. And we throw a few dollars to that person. But let me ask you this. Are we really helping that person? Or are we trying to help ourselves with a little bit of guilt? Because ultimately, that few dollars that we throw at that person, is that going to solve their problem? No. It's not. See, generosity is a very big deal to God. It is a core of who he is. It is a core of who he calls us to be, of, of how we reflect him. Uh, Proverbs nineteen seventeen, a couple of verses, uh, says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Twenty one thirteen says, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. See, this idea of generosity, what, what Solomon is, what God is saying through Solomon is that when you meet a need, when you are generous to, to the less fortunate people around you, that is essentially you're, you're lending to God. 
And God says, if you do this, I will bless you, I will reward you, it will be good for you. But on the flip side, Solomon said, if you shut your ear to the cry of the poor, if you shut your ear to the cry of the poor, that there's going to come a time when you're in need, and God's going to give to you what you've given to others. He's going to shut his ear. That doesn't sound very fun. Question becomes, well, 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 what does it look like? How do we shut our ear? Like, how do we shut our ear to the cry of the poor? And I think there's uh, a couple things to think about that. I think about this idea of, of shutting our ear. Uh, makes me think there's probably something worse going on. Because I would say that shutting your ear to the cry of the poor is probably a sign of something deeper. Probably a sign of a hard heart. In fact, I'd say that was the first way that we shut our ear to the poor is the fact that we lack godliness. That we lack godliness. It's easy for us to say, well, you know, uh, that person, they're poor and they deserve it. You know, like I've, I've earned all I have. Like I've worked hard. I provided for myself. And, and they deserve what has come to them because they've made poor decisions in life. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe you don't say that. Maybe you're more spiritual. Again, we're, we're more spiritual. And so maybe you say, well, you know, uh, I have to be wise of my resources and, you know, I, I don't know if that person's going to use this money for good or bad purposes. So, you know, I'm, I'm being wise, and so I'm not going to give to this need. But the reality is, as you look at Scripture, consistently throughout Scripture, generosity is a sign of godliness. Generosity is absolutely a sign of godliness. In fact, in 29 verse 7, uh, Proverbs 29 7, so it says, A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A righteous man is concerned with the needs of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. See, this idea about being generous, in fact, that word generous in the Bible is actually, can also be translated as being gracious. Generosity refers less to the amount given and more to what's happening in your heart, more to your attitude. And so, yes, absolutely, we need to have wisdom. We need to have wisdom when we're generous. Here at the church, we have a benevolent policy. We have a policy in place to, to guide how we support needs to the people that come. Things we don't do, we don't support laziness. We don't support laziness. We don't support foolishness. If you're blowing all your money over foolish living, we don't support that. Uh, we provide for needs and not wants. But the reality of it, I want the church to be generously generous. I want the church to be quicker to say yes than they are to say no. And I can say that last three years, we have blown through every dollar that we have set aside for benevolence because, again, we want to be a people that are quicker to say yes than we are to say no. Is that true about you? As you consider how generous you are, are you quicker to say no or are you quicker to say yes? What is that telling you about your heart? In fact, uh, looking at scripture, I would say one of the reasons that God blesses us financially is so that, that we can be generous. In 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 9, the apostle Paul was taking an offering up uh, amongst the churches to go to some poor Christians in Jerusalem. And this is, what, uh, this is what Paul told those believers in Jerusalem. He said, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. What, what he's saying is that when you are generous, the Lord will bless you. Not so you can buy more stuff, not so you can have more security, uh, but the Lord will bless you so you can be generous on every occasion. So you don't have to be selective. You can help wherever the need is. 
That is why God blesses us financially, so that we can be generous, not so we can hoard and hold more. So I think that's looking at this idea on what it looks like for us to pursue financial freedom. We pursue financial freedom so we can set aside for the rainy day. So that way when the tires blow and when uh, the taxes are due, we have the ability to cover those expenses. Additionally, we pursue financial freedom so we can be generously generous. So we can grow in our godliness by extending the resources that God has given us to give to others. Again, this isn't the goal in life. This is one of the goals. That as we grow in our godliness, that it would affect our finances. That we would be financially free so we could serve Jesus wherever he would call us to be. We can serve Jesus. Jesus was the guy who was rich and he became poor for us, did he not? Jesus up in, up in heaven had everything we could ever imagine. And he chose to come to the earth as a servant. He chose to, to have our sin, to, to pay for our sins. He chose to adopt us into his family. To give us an eternal inheritance. He was generous to us. And now he's called us to be generous like him. So here's financial freedom. The question is, like, how do we get there? Like, I would imagine most of us, maybe some of you are in that spot where you're financially free. It feels really good to be able to go and do whatever God calls you to do. I would say that most of us, that's something we long for. That's something we would love to experience. So how do we get there? And this is where Solomon is going to get very practical. Practical. This is what we would call uh, Solomon mentoring us, Solomon discipling us. He's given us this big idea of, hey, if you're financial free, you can be faithful to serve God wherever he calls you. And now he's going to tell us, here's how you get there. Here's some steps for you to become financially free. It's all about choices, choices that you and I make. And the first choice that Solomon's going to give us to be financially free is he's going to say, if you want to be financial free, you have to be willing to work honestly and to work diligently. Proverbs uh, chapter 10, verse 4 says, A slack hand or a lazy hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. There are other verses we can look at. In fact, we're going to look at this topic of, of how we work here in a couple of weeks. So I'm not going to spend much time on it this morning. Other than saying that financial, financial freedom is tied to this idea that if we work hard, if we work faithful, man, there's a... There's a, there's a uh, reward that comes to that, involving financial freedom. Second step to get uh, financially free is we have to stop falling behind, or we have to stop getting out of debt. In fact, I did a little bit of research this past week. The average household in, in, in the United States, okay, the average home, I don't know how many homes are represented here today, 25, 30, 40, the average home has $16,000 of credit card debt. That's the average home in America has $16,000 of credit card debt. If you were to accumulate all the credit card debt of the United States, that equals $1 trillion. If you were to look at all the debt that we have from our car payments, those car payments that we're paying on, accumulatively for the United States, that's $1.22 trillion. Trying to think, well, what, what, is that, what does that actually equal? Like, like, how much is a trillion dollars? So think about this. If you and I were to go to Costco and buy one of the new TVs, a TV is $1,000 maybe. If you had a $1,000 bill stacked on top of each other, it would be about four inches tall, okay? $1 trillion 
would actually be 68,000 miles tall. Stacked one. It would take you a third of the way to the moon if you had one trillion dollars stacked on top of each other. Okay? This is crazy to think about the amount of debt that is in our country and in our homes. And Proverbs, Solomon in his wisdom would say this in, in chapter 22, verse 7. He would say, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave of the lender. When you have that credit card debt, when you have debt, you have this obligation to put time and energy towards paying that debt off. It limits the type of freedom that you could have if you didn't have that debt. This is what debt does to you. It makes you uh, a slave, uh, the borrower is slave to the lender. This idea about, about, about stop falling behind and, and getting out of debt. Listen, what we have to learn to do is we have to learn to trust the master and not the MasterCard, right? We have to learn to trust the master and not the MasterCard. Now, I know some of us in here would say, well, my MasterCard, like, like if I get in a need, if I get into a difficult circumstance, I can, I, I can just pull the MasterCard out or, or the Visa card or the American Express card and I can charge whatever it is and that gets me out of the, out of the, the problem I'm in. It gets me out of the crisis or the emergency. But here's the problem with, with trusting the credit card. Is because that credit card uh, allows you to not trust God to meet your needs. When you have that MasterCard, it's easy for you to go and buy whatever your need is, or more realistically, to go and buy whatever your want is, before God provides. And if we are going to make a decision, make a choice to stop falling behind, to get out of debt, we have to learn to start trusting God to meet our needs. We have to trust that God is going to do it. Listen, God doesn't always do it in your timing. God doesn't do it in my timing. But God is faithful. And he's promised that he is faithful and just to meet our needs. The second thing I think about this idea about stop falling behind and, and getting out of debt is we have to learn to accept the stage of life that we are in. We have to learn to accept the seasons of life that we are in. In fact, this is what happens... Um, when I, uh, years ago, I worked at Ace Hardware, uh, their uh, distribution center. It was a great job. I enjoyed it. I think I've talked about this job before. I drove a forklift. I enjoyed that job. Uh, there was a young kid that started working there. Well, I, I was a young kid myself. But there was another young kid that started working there. And this was his first, like, full-time job. And so we're talking to the supervisor one day. And the supervisor's been there for a lot of years. He had, he had a good salary. And he had this little fancy sports car. So this guy that got hired with me, he says, man, look at that sports car. Now, this is a kid who made $11 an hour. He goes out and buys a $20,000 sports car. Listen, you've got to learn to understand the season of life you're in. When you are a young kid at an entry-level job, it's probably not the right time for you to go and have this fancy sports car. You've got to understand the season of life you're in. That, that maybe the $20,000 sports car sure looks good and it's fun to drive, but maybe a $2,000 car would, would do the same thing. It would get you from here to there and take care of your needs, right? You've got to understand and be willing to accept, that, hey, this is where I'm at right now. I don't have the, the financial freedom to go and do a fancy car, so I'm going to get a car that gets me from here to there and here, and it's going to work just sufficiently for me. So the second step to financial freedom is to stop falling behind and get out of debt. 
third step to financial freedom is to save a little bit over a long period of time. In fact, if you were to look at successful people, if you were to look at successful businesses, if you were to look at successful, successful people financially, successful churches, the reality is what makes them a success is it's a long journey. It's a long journey of doing the right thing for a very long time. That is what success looks like. Now, most of us, and I would probably say myself included, we like a shortcut. Like, what's, for me, I'm thinking, what's the quickest route to financial freedom? Like, is it the lottery? Is it getting a big pay raise? Is it an inheritance? Like, what is the quickest way for me to financial freedom? There's a gal by the name of Beverly Sills. And she said something that's helpful to this idea. She said, there are no shortcuts to any place worth going. There are no shortcuts to any place worth going. And Solomon would, would build on that. Solomon in chapter Proverbs 13, 11 says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. You know what that means? That if we think we're going to win the lottery, and that's going to give us financial freedom, if we think we get the big pay raise or the big bonus or the inheritance check, that's going to bring financial freedom. It doesn't work. In fact, 70% of all people who win the lottery end up broker than when they started within a period of just a couple of years. The reality is when we get a big chunk of money, what do we do? When you get a big chunk of money, we blow it on a vacation. We blow it on a car. We, we, we buy a bigger house. We, we do whatever it is. Whatever we want to do, you get a big chunk of money, you typically tend to, to spend it and blow it on something. And that's why Solomon would tell us Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. The second part of that verse, Proverbs 13, 11 says, whoever gathers little by little will increase it. And that right there is the secret to financial freedom. To gather a very little bit over a long time. In fact, if you're looking financially at your financial situation, if you want to get ahead financially, you have to make these decisions. These are choices you have to make. I'm going to choose to work diligently. I'm going to choose to stop falling behind and stop getting in debt. And I'm going to choose to start saving even the tiniest amount, even the tiniest little bit right now. Because over the long time, that's going to add up. And you're going to surprise how that looks in the end when you've been setting a little bit aside for a long period of time. In fact, when I was younger, I had someone a little bit wiser than me say, hey, you know, you really need to start putting money into a retirement account. And I thought, well, retirement, that's like 60 years away, 40 years away, whatever it is. That's a long, I don't, I don't need to be worrying about that now. But he said, no, listen, what you need to do is you need to take a few dollars and you put that into some sort of retirement account and it's going to compound. It's going to continue to grow on itself. He said, you're going to be so far ahead of the people who wait another 15 or 20 years if you just decide right now to start putting a few dollars away. Now, I started this when I was like 23 years old, starting putting a few dollars. I didn't have much money, but I put a few dollars in the retirement account. Listen, when you're doing this, when you start looking at that and you start following it, and it can be discouraging. I mean, those few dollars, you're, you look and you're like, man, it's just not growing. It makes you want to quit. But you look down the road, 15 years down the road, 20 years down the road, you look at where that has been able to grow and you're like, wow, wow, see what happens? Saving a little bit for a long time. Because what you're going to find is financial freedom does not happen overnight. 
Financial freedom happens by taking a little bit and setting it aside over a long period of time. Fourth step to financial freedom. Number one, you've got to work diligently. Number two, you've got to make a decision to get out of debt. Number three, you've got to save a little bit over a long period of time. Number four, you have to choose to live below your means. Choose to live below your means. Solomon said in chapter 21, he said, Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man, but he who loves wine and oil will not be rich. He said in uh, 21 verse 20, he says, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. What Solomon just said is a wise man will, uh, will ha- live below his means. Uh, that he gives him a little bit of margin where he's able to, to set a little bit aside over the long haul, gives him the, free, the, the freedom to set aside for a rainy day, allows him to be generous. But he said the foolish man devours all of it. Devours the, the, the oil, devours uh, the precious treasure. It's gone. You know where most of our debt comes from? Most of our debt comes from buying things that we cannot afford, right? Taking aside medical uh, debt, taking aside meltdowns in the economy, taking aside maybe a, a struggle in your career. Most of our consumer debt comes from buying things that we cannot afford. Most of our consumer debt comes from we decide that we like a uh, uh, quad shot uh, vanilla uh, latte in a grande cup instead of choosing black coffee that works just the same, right? Why do we do this? Why, why, why do we do this? We do this because we compare ourselves with other people. We look around and we compare ourselves with our peers. We look at what they drive. We look at how they vacation. We look at the kind of house that they live in. We look at how they live and we think, I want to be like them. But the reality is when we look at other people and we're comparing ourselves with others, we can't see behind the scenes. We can't see that most of our peers are, are up to their eyeballs in debt. This is why Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey, a financial guru, said, uh, it's so dumb because we buy things that we can't afford to impress people that we don't really like after all. Right? Look, this is what we have to do. If you want this financial freedom, we have to look at our peers and see where they are. We have to choose to live one step below that. And we want to get out of that. We got to choose to live one. And if we actually want that margin, if we want to build that margin of financial freedom, we actually have to choose to live maybe a couple steps down from our peers. Because, again, another quote by Dave Ramsey, this is a simple idea that um, we choose to live now like nobody else in order to live later like no one else is going to live later. Right? We choose to live now a couple steps below our, our, our ability to live below our means. So we can prepare for the rainy day. So we can be generous. So we can set a little bit aside. So that way there'll come a day down the age where where we're able to live like nobody else is going to live because we've been smart financially. Listen, I know that this is hard, living below your means. I I, I know as we get together and talk as elders of Restoration Church, I would say that the vision we have for Restoration Church is probably greater than what our budget is. Now, I believe that God does provide, and I believe God is faithful in doing that. But as an elder team, we've tried to work hard uh, to have our church live within our means, to have our church even live below our means. 
to be wise stewards of our resources. Four steps of financial freedom. Be, able, be willing to work diligently. Choose to uh, stop falling behind. Choose to save a little bit over a long time. Number four, choose to live below your means. And the last step, number five, choose to give to God's kingdom off the top. Choose to give God's kingdom off the top. Here's what Solomon says in chapter three. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. See, on this idea of generosity, there's, there's two ways that it plays out. The first way it plays out is giving to the less fortunate, giving to the needy around you. And we understood that. We talked about this. But there's the second day idea of generosity, and that's where we uh, commit our resources to the kingdom of God, to God's agenda in the world. And, and what that verse just said, and, and that Solomon gave us in Proverbs chapter 3, he just said, if, if you want God to come along and lift you up and, and support you, and not hold you down. There's this principle that we have to understand. And that is where we express our generosity to God off the top. That we give to God first before we do anything else. And we don't give to God out of the leftovers. Because you know what happens when we give to God out of the leftovers? At least for me, there's never any leftovers. Right? There's always another something for me to put my resources into. This is why we have to give to God off the top. And let me tell you what, this requires faith. For you to trust God and say, God, I'm going to make sure I'm faithful to you first. Man, there's a tremendous amount of faith in that. Before you're paying all the bills, you're going to give to God and say, God, I'm trusting you. And what happens, this happens time and time and time again. This is what that verse says. That you give to God on top and you're not sure how everything else is going to work out. But somehow at the end of the month, uh, you're checking the bank account, you're checking where everything's out, and you're like, wow. Like, we made it this month. Where did this extra money come from? Why did we get this refund? How come this bill cost less than it was supposed to? That's what God does. That's what God does. That, that's what Solomon is saying when he says that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine as God provides the needs. You be faithful to him and God will provide. And what happens is when we give to God first, when we give to God off the top, it's going to do two things inside of our heart. It's going to build this attitude of gratitude. It's going to build a thankfulness in our heart. And it's going to teach us how to trust him. In fact, this is why I would say that this is not a financial thing. This is why I would say this doesn't have to do nearly with the finances. It has more to do with your heart. This is why I'm not giving this message to do a fundraiser for Restoration Church to say, hey, you need to give more to us. That's not the, the heart behind it. The reason we do this message is because I love you, because I care for you, because I care for your godliness. I want to build inside of you what God wants. I want to build trust and thankfulness inside your heart. I want to see us growing in our godliness. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says uh, that we are to be thankful in all things. Hebrews chapter 11 says, without faith, it is impossible for us to please God. And so when we're talking about giving to God off top, we're talking about building a, a, an attitude of gratitude. We're talking about building a trust in him. Would we, not, uh, would we not agree that our thankfulness and our trust are foundational to our faith? They're things that are so important to our faith in God. And so we have this thankfulness, that we have this trust in him. 
Again, you look at this principle in Proverbs 3 about the barns being plenty and the bats and the vats bursting. Listen, this is not an investment strategy. It's not like, hey, I'm going to give to God and God's going to make me rich. That's not what we're talking about here today. We're not talking, again, Proverbs are not promises. If you don't do it to be rich. You do it to be godly. You don't give to God off the top uh, to get ahead. You give to God to grow in your thankfulness and to trust in Jesus. So those are five steps for us to pursue financial freedom. Steps to getting financially free, to work diligently, to stop falling behind, to save a little bit over a long time, to, to live below our means, and to give to God off the top. And again, why would we do this? We would do this so that we could be, we could find financial freedom where we are free to follow Jesus to wherever and to whatever God would call us to do. That perhaps you're sitting in here and perhaps uh, God has put a little uh, stirring in your heart that maybe you need to be one of the teachers that goes down to Honduras with Dr. Moultrie for the next year. Again, if you've got debt, you're, you're inhibited. You're not able to do that because you've got other things, other priorities. We want to have that financial freedom to, to follow God wherever he would lead us. So what is your next step? In light of this idea of financial freedom, what is your next step? And I would look at most of us in here and I would guess that for many of us, our next step flows out of uh, step number five, to give to God off the top. So I got three different steps for you as a response. and You figure out where you're at. Okay, first response, maybe when it comes to kingdom generosity, maybe today you need to make a commitment to move from nothing to something. To go from giving nothing to the kingdom of God to giving something. This is a huge step for some of you. I recognize that. In fact, it's said that in church world, they say that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. You ever heard that statistic before? Now, I'm thankful. I love Restoration Church. Jake and I are super thankful that that's not the way it plays out in our church. We have so many hands that are involved in everything we do here, and we love it. And we are thankful for it. Every, every week, this is one of the things that we are, are praising God for is all the people that serve in Restoration Church. But I would say that financially, I would say financially, there are some people that call Restoration Church home. There are some people that, that, that worship here on a regular basis, and they've been leaning on everyone else to do the work financially. Trusting everybody else is going to do this, and I don't have to partake. Listen, do you recognize that everything we do here costs money? Like this building we meet in, I love this building. It is, it is a beautiful building. Uh, I'm so thankful for it, but do you realize it costs us money every week to, to meet here? Our, our kids' ministry, one of the things I love about our church is our kids' ministry. Every time I talk to a new family, hey, what brought you to Restoration Church? And they would say, well, man, our kids. Our kids love the kids' ministry. They love the teachers. They love the, the classrooms. They love what they're doing. And guess what? Those teachers require curriculum and, and, and resources. And those resources are not free. You have to provide for those resources. So listen, maybe there are some of you in here today. Maybe that's your step. As you need to move from, from giving nothing to the kingdom of God to giving something to the kingdom of God. And that's a huge step for you. Let me pray for you in that. Maybe for some of you, you're saying, well, I'm already there. I'm already giving a little bit of something. And maybe for you, the next step to grow in your thankfulness, to grow in your trust in Jesus, is maybe you need to move from something to significance. 
You need to move from giving just a tip to God to giving an actual tithe. Again, this idea of a tithe in the Bible, that means that we give to 10% to God off the top. Off the top, God, here's 10% to you. Listen, I recognize this is a huge step for people. I recognize this is a huge step. I remember when we made this decision a number of years ago to begin tithing to the church, it was kind of like, man, I don't know how it's going to work out. But I can tell you, God provides. God provides. In fact, again, there's, there's studies that say that the average uh, Christian, they tithe 2% to the church. Average Christian, 2%. So well, why, why, why is it so low? And I would say, because most of us, we have debt. We're living beyond our means. We are influenced by our peers, by seeing how they live. Or maybe we just have the wrong priorities. Where are you at? Maybe you're moving from nothing to something. Maybe you need to move from something to significant. That set percent takes whatever steps you need to get there as God allows you to make that decision to work towards that tithe to God. Third step, I know some of you are sitting in your seats and you're like, man, I'm there. Like, I'm giving that 10%. And you're like, preach it, pastor. Everybody needs to hear that message. Preach it, pastor. Listen, maybe for you, maybe your next step in growing in your gratitude and growing in your trust is to move from significant to sacrifice. Maybe for you, you need to look at things in your life and say, there are things that I don't have. There are things that I don't do because the kingdom of God is more important to me than that. Maybe for you, you need to move from significance to sacrifice, where it begins to affect how you live because you are so committed to the things of God. Listen, I don't know what step you are on. In fact, I'd say that there are some of us in here that God has you exactly, that you are right where God wants you. But I would say for the vast majority of our culture, the the vast majority of Christians, the vast majority of us here at Restoration Church, for many of us, there probably is a next step. Most of us, we want that financial freedom. It's something we'd like to get, not something we are currently enjoying. So most of us should walk out of here today and have a next step. A choice to make so we can pursue financial freedom. Ultimately, every one of these steps is is a step of trust. It's a step of faith. Let me tell you what. God rewards faith. God rewards steps of faith. He always has and he always will. Whatever step of faith you make today, go with that and trust God to provide. Let's pray.